If you've got a Bible, you can turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, as we continue this series of messages entitled Ecclesia, Recovering Who We Are. Because we said on several occasions already that the church is something before it ever does anything. And so over the course of the last couple of weeks and the next several as well, we want to continue to recover our identity and discover who God has said we are so that we're able to understand how we ought to go about fulfilling what God has called us to do. And this week we continue in that Second Peter text with the second descriptor there in Second Peter or First Peter chapter 2, where Peter says, "But you are a chosen race." a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who's called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Last week we took a look at the, the sense in which the church is indeed a chosen race. This week we turn our attention to this aspect of the church's identity, that the church is a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. Now listen, the language that Peter, we're just going to dive right in, all right? I don't have a whole lot of story for you this morning. Hopefully the message will be a little bit abbreviated as well. But the language here in Peter is very similar to the language of Exodus 19.6. In the book of Exodus, in Exodus 19.6, God speaking to the people through Moses says to the nation of Israel, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. Now, in Exodus 19.6, God says to his people through his prophet that Israel would not be a kingdom with priests, although they would have priests who would perform priestly duties, but they would be a kingdom of priests, indicating that everyone who was a part of that kingdom in some capacity functioned as a priest. And Peter draws on that language here as he speaks of the church as a royal priesthood. Now let's be real clear this morning, Peter's not talking about a particular office in the church, as if some are priests in the church and some are not priests in the church, but rather Peter's saying that everyone who is bound together by the blood of Christ, if you go back into 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3, where Peter says that according to God's great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So everyone that God has brought to life, everyone that God has caused to be born again by him acting upon them according to his mercy he says are a part of this priesthood they're bound together by the blood of Christ and a part of the priesthood but what does it mean what does this what does this all mean to be a royal priesthood let's take a look at those two words together this morning first let's take a look at royal royal Part of what this means, in, as Peter writes about this, is that the church, you as God's people, you share the dignity of royalty. You share the dignity of royalty. See, one of the themes that runs through the scriptures is the kingship of Jesus. We just sang about it together. Glory, glory, we have no other king, Jesus, Lord of all. It runs through the entire Bible. In places in the Old Testament, it was predicted in places like Isaiah 9. In verses 6 and following, now it's not Christmas, but we're going to read this text anyway. It says, For to us a a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, 
Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David, over his kingdom, to establish and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. See, speaking of Jesus, the one, the child who would be born, the son who would be given, that the government would rest on his shoulders. It would be ever expanding and increasing in his authority and his influence across the globe. It's predicted in the Old Testament, but it's also praised in the New Testament in places like Colossians 1, verses 15 to 20, where Paul says this, speaking of Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of, creation, of, of, of all creation. Now that word of, uh, for firstborn literally means this, that Jesus possesses all the rights, all the privileges, all the power, all the authority of the firstborn child, firstborn son in an ancient family, which means everything comes to him. And that's what Paul says about Jesus, that he's firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. So his kingship is predicted in the Old Testament. It's praised in the New Testament. And when you turn to the end of the book, in Revelation chapter 6, when God peels back the heavens and gives John a vision of what's going on in the world in which he cannot see with his natural eyes, John says that when he looked in Revelation 6 verse 2, and behold a white horse, and its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him, and he came conquering and to conquer. See, all throughout the Bible, Jesus is spoken of as one who would rule, as one who would be king, as one who would exercise authority, as one whom the government would rest upon his shoulders, that he would uphold justice, that he would be king. So Jesus was and is and always will be king over all creation. And listen, one of the things we talk about here quite frequently at Redeemer is that to be a part of Jesus' kingdom, to have Jesus as your king, means that you submit to his authority. But I want to tell you something else this morning. It also means that you share in his dignity. You share in his dignity. Listen, I don't know if you've noticed this, but there seems to be a fascination within our culture with royal families. There are TV shows about them. There are movies made about them. Right? Anytime something happens, it hits the, the broadcast media. It's pushed out over social media. And so, I don't know if you remember, but a, a little over a year ago, there was a big royal wedding between Prince Harry and a Meghan Markle, between a British prince and an American actress that took place in St. George's Cathedral in Windsor, England. Now listen, that wedding went viral. There were millions of people, my wife not excluded, who tuned in in order to watch this affair unfold on international television. Okay? And if you do a quick Google search today, Royal Wedding 2018, literally today, that's when I did it, today, what you'll discover is that there are blogs out there dedicated to the Royal Wedding. Massive amounts of information that has been dispensed about the bride's mother's dress, about the shoes the bride wore, about her veil, which 
listen, it's pretty cool, right? All 53 countries in the British Commonwealth that in some way, shape, or form are connected to the Queen Mother, okay, were represented in, the, in Megan's veil. Their, the floor, the flowers of those nations were woven into her veil to represent all the countries that came under the authority of the British Commonwealth. There's a whole blog about that. I read it. <laughs> all right? There's all kinds of information about the reception, about the cake, about the dress, about the jewelry. Everything you could possibly want to know about the royal wedding is there. All because this upstart American actress married into British royalty. Now listen. She was not born royalty. She was born in L.A., and she wasn't a queen or a duchess, but because of her union with one who was born of royalty, she became royalty. She shares in the dignity of royalty. She's now a duchess of Sussex. Some of you might know more about what that means than I do. But listen, the same is true for you and I. We were not born as royalty. We were born as peasants and paupers. Because of our union with Christ and in Christ as one who himself is the king over all creation, we not only submit to his authority as our king, but we also share in his dignity as our co-heir. That we are joint heirs with Jesus See, Paul says this in Romans chapter 8 and verses 15 to 17. He says, For you, you Christian, did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Listen, the Holy Spirit has a ministry in your life of affirming and confirming your identity as one who is a child of God. It's one of his major ministries in your life is to persuade you that indeed you are born again, that you are born of God. And then he goes on to say in verse 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Paul says you are joint heirs with Jesus. I don't know if any of you grew up in an old Southern Baptist church with hymnals. You might remember singing the song, Join Heirs with Jesus as we travel along as a part of this family of God. That because of our union with one who is king, we share in his dignity. We share in the dignity of royalty. And listen, we said last week that a part of us understanding our identity is so that you and I might progressively become who we are more and more. So how is it that we go about embracing this identity as one who is dignified with royalty? Royalty, listen, it was indeed lost with Adam but renewed and restored in Christ. How do we become what we are? Let me tell you, let me give you one way this morning. You've got to shift your mindset. Right? Paul says in Romans 12 that a part of our sanctification process is the renewal of our minds. Right? Of us thinking now more in line with who we are. 
And you've got to shift your mindset. For so many Christians, even after their conversion, they still have the mindset of peasantry, not of royalty. Right? And the mindset of peasantry, if you were born into a peasant family, right, that is the way things always had been, and that is the way things always would be. Right? Because particularly in the ancient world, you did not climb the social ladder. The family that you were born into would be the family that you would die in. And there was not a whole lot of upward mobility for those who were born into peasantry. And listen, for some of us in the room this morning who may have been, may have been Christians for a very long time, you've never come to grips with your identity. Never. Uh, I, yes, I agree. That was perfectly placed, wasn't it? Yeah. Never come to grips with your identity. You've always lived as if you're still a peasant. And things will always be the way things always have been. So all the struggles with sin that you have endured over the course of your life, you think that this is the way that it's always going to be because you've never embraced the fact that not only is sin a violation of God's commands and rejection of his authority but it's also listen it's beneath your dignity because you're not living out of who you are as a co-heir with Christ never come to grips with who you are you, you do you remember some of you who have read the books or seen the movies in the chronicles of Narnia in the 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 first movie that was released the lion the witch and the wardrobe Remember when those children stumble through that wardrobe there in that old house and they stumble through the, the, the old fur coats and all of a sudden they begin to be scratched by the pine branches and they find themselves in this whole new world, right? In which it's always winter and never Christmas, right? Because the white witch has cast a curse upon the world and she rules with an icy fist, not an iron one, but an icy one. You know, there are rumors, there's a great king, Aslan, right? That as, and as Aslan comes, right, there's beautiful pictures of, of, of how uh, the effects of sin are reversed in the lives of those who are submitting to Aslan's rule as he enters in. And it, through his great sacrifice there at the stone table that, in, that empowers and encourages the, the, the children to go out and fight. But listen, when the children stumble into that world, they have no idea who they are. They just know they find themselves in a new world. They have no clue what their identity is. And in fact, whenever they meet the little beavers, remember the scene where they meet the beavers and they go into the hut, right? And the beavers are trying to convince them, like, like, this is who you are. You're the ones that have been prophesied about. We've heard about you coming. But they have no idea that they are princes and princesses, kings and queens. I think they're still just insignificant children who are caught up in war-torn England in World War II. You know, at the end of the, of the story, the white witch is defeated. Aslan's reign continues forward. And Aslan crowns them. Listen to what he says. He says, To the glistening eastern sea I give you Queen Lucy the Valiant, 
to the great western woods, King Edmund the just, to the radiant southern sun, Queen Susan the gentle, and to the clear northern skies, I give you King Peter the magnificent. Once a king or queen of Narnia, always a king or queen of Narnia. May your wisdom grace us until the stars rain down from the heavens. Listen, if you are a part of Aslan's people, if you are in union with Jesus Christ. You are not paupers, but princes and princesses, kings and queens, who will one day, as you conquer with Jesus in Revelation 3.21, that you will be given a throne with Him. You will be seated on His throne, even as He was seated on His Father's throne as He conquered. That's what we're told in Revelation chapter 3. Listen, you've got to shift your mindset. And the way that you go about doing that is by preaching the gospel to yourself. Preaching, this sound like, you're saying, I need to look in the mirror and talk to myself? If that's what it takes, <laughs> it may not take that for you. As long as the mirror doesn't answer you back, you're doing okay. But you need to preach the gospel to yourself. Remind yourself of who you are. Remind yourself of whose you are. Remind yourself that in Christ, all things are yours. Remind yourself that in Christ, that you've been cleansed. In Christ, you've been forgiven. In Christ, you've received the promised Holy Spirit. In Christ, because of Christ, you've been empowered now to walk in holiness. So, reject the peasantry mindset. And embrace the royalty mindset. Listen, but not only... Do you have to shift your mindset? Listen, one of the things that a church does that understands who it is is it begins to help others shift their mindset as well. The way that they think about themselves. So that whenever you and I see a brother or sister in Christ struggling with a stronghold in their life, a pattern of behavior, a pattern of thinking, a pattern of values, a pattern of actions in their life that is destroying them, then we refuse We refuse to let them remain in a peasantry mindset. Those people who are destined for a dignified life of royalty. So we come alongside to encourage and remind them of who they are. Remind them of whose they are. Remind them of all that is theirs in Christ. See, the church shares the dignity of royalty. And we need to begin to walk in that, shift our mindset, preach the gospel to yourself, and preach it to others. Not just so they might come to faith in Jesus, but so they might grow in their faith in Jesus. Second of all, the second image that we have here is of the priesthood. And so if the church is to share in the dignity of royalty, not only do we share in His dignity, but we also enjoy the privilege and responsibility of the priesthood. There's a privilege and a responsibility. See, in the Old Testament, the priesthood was put in place by God to mediate His relationship with the people. You know what a mediator is? That's like a five-cent word. We don't use it a whole lot in our culture. But a mediator is essentially this. It's someone who represents a person or a group in front of another person or another group. So they're a representative. And so God establishes the priesthood in the Old Testament to mediate His relationship to His people. So the priest represented the people to God. They would bring offerings and sacrifices into the tabernacle or or temple to be presented on the altar. 
They represented the people of Israel to God. But listen, God says in Exodus 19, 6, you're a kingdom of priests. So there's a sense in which the whole nation of Israel represented God to the world. So the priest represented the people to God and the kingdom of priests represented God to the world. And Peter's drawing on that same imagery here to say, listen, listen, there's still a mediator that you have. I want you to know that. There's still a mediator. You can't come to God by yourself. (laughs) It will destroy you. In fact, the book of Hebrews tells us that we still have a mediator, a great high priest. And his name is Jesus who mediates, who represents us before God and represents God to us. But there is a sense in which those who belong to him are part of this royal priesthood. Part of this royal priesthood. And as such, listen, we are to use our access and be accessible. That's what a priest did. He had access to God and he was accessible to the people. Talking about, about those two things for a moment. That priest had access to God in the Old Testament, right? Even the, particularly the high priest, once a year, he would go into the Holy of Holies to bring the, the, the sacrifice for the sins of the people, the Day of Atonement, to offer up the, 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 the blood of the, of, the, of, the, of the goats or the lambs. Right? They would offer one on the altar, they would pray, put the sins of the, of, of the people, of, of people on one, offer on the altar, the other one, they'd have two goats, you know be sent away into the wilderness to take away the guilt and the shame. But listen, the old te- in the Old Testament, the priest had this access to God. It means they were not on the outside with God, but on the inside with God. As they mediated this relationship between God and His people. They weren't shut out. And listen, for those of us who are part of this royal priesthood because we are in Christ, it means the very same thing for us, is that you and I have access to God. You're not shut out. You're not held at arm's length. You're brought in. You're received, embraced, and welcomed to share intimacy with the very God who created all of reality. Listen, in in a speech entitled, The Inner Ring, delivered to an audience of students at King's College in London in 1944. C.S. Lewis, uh, this is the second time I've used something from his this morning, but it's just really good. In that speech, he speaks of our common desire to be on the inside. Now listen to what he says. He says, it's not large, lighted rooms or champagne or even scandals about peers and cabinet ministers that we want. It's the sacred little attic or studio. The heads bent together, the fog of tobacco smoke, the delicious knowledge that we, we four or five, huddled beside this stove are the people who know. Often the desire conceals itself so well that we hardly recognize the pleasures of it when it comes to fruition. Men tell not only their wives but themselves that it's such a hardship to stay late at the office or the school, on some bit of important extra work which they have been let in for because they and -and so-and-so and the two others are the only people left in the place who really know how things are. But it is not quite true. It's a terrible bore, of course. When old Fatty Smithson, that's the name that he used, draws you aside and whispers, look here. We've got to get you in on this examination somehow. Or Charles and I both saw at once that you've got to be on this committee. A terrible bore. Ah! But how much more terrible if you were left out. 
It is tiring and unhealthy to lose your Saturday afternoons. But to have them free because you don't matter, that is much worse, he says. See, all of us have a desire to be on the inside, some network, some circle of friendships, some relationships. Like you, you, if, if, in your, in your, oftentimes in your office, in your workplace, whenever the, the CEO and CFO and CIO and CTO and right, whatever, whatever other C's they have, whenever they're getting together in these meetings and they're putting their heads together, and you see them walking down the hall having these, these, these water cooler conversations, you want to be in that. There's a desire to be inside, to be in the know, to be in the network, to be in the circle, to be in the ring, right, to be in the relationships. In, in, in high school, in middle school, I want to be in the popular kids, I want to be a part of the jocks, right? We want to be the athlete. We want to be a part of this, these people. We all have a desire to be in the know. And what Lewis says is this. He says that all of our desires to be on the inside of something are really just faint echoes of the chasm that exists in our lives because we're outside of Eden. We all want to be on the inside of something because we're all on the outside of Eden. But listen, I want you to know something, church, that in Christ, in Christ, we've been welcomed back in. In Christ, we've been received back onto the inside with God. Our sins dealt with. So that our identity is no longer based upon the network or the circle or the relationships or the gated community, right, that we live in. Because we're in the inside, they're in the outs. It's no longer based on any of those things that are measured by worldly standards or benchmarks, but our identity is now measured and based on the fact that Jesus has made access for us to boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that we will be received as children. We have access to God. Do you use it? Or is it something that you take for granted? Not only do you have access, but listen. In the Old Testament, the priests also were accessible to people. In the Old Testament, the priests, it's a beautiful picture in Exodus chapter 28 of how the priests had the names of the sons of Israel, the tribes of Israel, carved into precious stones on the breastplate. These people that were God's treasured possession. We'll see that in a couple of weeks. Listen, in Exodus 28, we find this description of this breast piece. It was made from yarn and linen and appears to have only been about as large as the average person's hand in height and width. And it contained four rows of three precious stones, each set within the fabric and gold filigree. And upon the stones were engraved the names of the twelve sons or tribes of Israel. And the breast piece was attached to the ephod, his, the, the priest's garments, with gold chain or cords to secure it over the heart of the high priest so that it would never swing away from the heart of the priest. But the people would always ever be on the heart of the priest. In essence, the people of Israel whom the priest represented before God were engraved on his heart. They rested over his heart. 
And listen, in the book of Hebrews, where we're told that Jesus is indeed our great high priest, I want you to know that as he is clothed in the garments of the priesthood, that indeed the names of his people are engraved on his heart. Your name is written on his heart. Your name is engraved over his heart. You are ever on his heart. You have access to to God through him. And out of a deep love, He receives you. He cares for you deeply. And listen, when that truth settles upon you and you know that is your identity in Him, your royal priesthood, then you know what happens? You no longer have the insecurity of wondering whether or not these people are going to love me. These people are going to accept me. These people are going to cherish me. These people are going to welcome me. It doesn't matter what other circle you get on the inside of because you're on the inside of this circle. So it allows you to move out toward people who are in all kinds of circles with love and compassion. With care and concern. To open your life up to them, to their needs, to their wants, to their desires, to their brokenness. To make yourself accessible. In the same way that your high priest has a deep abiding love for his people, so also we have a deep abiding love for the people who are around us. When we get a grip on this identity. See, when a church is progressively becoming who they are, they refuse to screen people out of their lives. See, the priest brought all the sacrifices into the temple for all the people. Not just for the ones they liked. But for all of them. I I remember, I I am old enough, even though some people may not think I am, I am old enough to remember the introduction of caller ID. I remember the days before they had screens on phones. Right? Digital phones. I remember, I actually remember our very first phone in the kitchen. It had like a massive cord on it right? so that you could walk the entire length of the house on the phone. It had like this 30-foot cord on it. There's a rotary dial. And then we got the push-button dial. And then, lo and behold, we got an actual digital phone. And then caller ID was introduced where you could actually see the number who was calling you. And some of you are like, you couldn't see their name? They didn't have a picture there? No. There was no such thing as iPhones then. But listen, you could see the number that was calling you. You know what that enabled you to do then? Screen your calls. If you knew the number that was calling you and you wanted to talk to the person, you could pick up and answer. If you didn't know the number, you didn't have to answer. If you knew the number and you didn't want to talk to the person, you didn't have to pick up and answer. And they would never know the difference. But listen, whenever you get a hold of this identity as a royal priesthood, one of the things it means if we're going to become who we are is that we're not screening calls. We're not screening people out of our lives. And it may come at the most odd times. The wee hours of the morning, late hours of the evening. We're not screening to say, yes, I'll take a 
call from them. I'll take an opportunity with them, but I'm going to screen these out. Quite frankly, they're just a little bit awkward. Quite frankly, they're just a little bit hard to deal with. If we embraced our identity as a royal priesthood, Listen, if we will preach the gospel to ourselves and to others, we will become a people who walk in the dignity of royalty, but not exclusivity, in which we're separating ourselves from those around us, but with compassion and love, where we're embracing everyone, no matter what circle they're coming from, and hopefully seeing them come to be in the circle of Jesus. As we represent God, the world. I'm going to pray for us to that end as we close this morning. Father, we pray today. Hearts full of gratitude for your grace. For the fact that while you created us as your image bearers to share in the dignity of your royalty as king over all the universe, that our first parents desecrated that. They defaced that. And ever since, we have been those who have been born into peasantry, even though we were created for royalty. And Father, that may even be one of the reasons we're so fascinated with royalty here on this earth. But I pray that you'd help us to see that the royalty that we were created for goes far beyond dresses and wedding cakes but it involves the majesty and splendor of a great marriage supper one day in which we will enjoy the majesty and beauty of our King Jesus for all of eternity. And I pray what will be true about us then and there will be brought backwards into our, we contextualize into our lives here and now. If there are areas of struggle and sin in our lives, that we not only lean on our wills to submit to your authority, but we'd also, we'd also preach the gospel to ourselves to remind ourselves of our identity. And to see that sin is beneath that dignity that you've created us for. And that we would walk in freedom from it. Father, even as we embrace our identity as kings and queens who share in the dignity of royalty because of our union with your Son, may it not be an exclusivity in our lives or in this church. But we would avail ourselves of our access to you. And that we would be accessible to those in our community in our lives, not screening people out, but welcoming people in and pointing them to Jesus that they might know the surpassing worth of who they were created to be. We pray it in Jesus' name.